All right. Can you hear me, everybody? Praise God. Amen. So uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Amen. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this opportunity for us just to come together together as the saints of God, uh, just to give you praise, honor and glory. We ask on today, God, that you touch each and every single one of us, God, that is on this line, touch our hearts, touch our minds, touch our families, touch our loved ones. And God, we ask, Lord, for a special prayer, God, for those uh, that are affected by this COVID-19 virus, Lord. God, we ask, God, that you heal our land, Lord. We ask, God, that you touch those that are sick, God, that, God, you heal like only you can heal, God. For, God, we know, God, that you are the ultimate cure, God, for not only our bodies, but for our souls, God. We ask, God, that this is an opportunity, God, for us to showcase you, God, and glorify you throughout all of the world, God. And, Lord, we give you all the praise. We give you all the honor. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We want to just welcome everyone again to our Hope Haven service on today. Uh, I want to thank all of you for joining us. Um, We thank God uh, for this opportunity. As many of you know, we're starting our new series uh, from the book of First Corinthians. Amen. Uh, So we're going to actually start on today. We're going to be coming from First Corinthians, the first chapter. Uh, Starting at the first verse, um, to those of you that have your Bibles, if you can grab them at this time, uh, if you do not have your Bible, um, we'll have the scriptures here on screen to join us, to uh, assist us. Um, And if you're sitting next to someone that doesn't have their Bible, uh, keep your six feet distance, uh, put your Bible in between you uh, and read together. Amen. (laughs) Amen. So when you get there, uh, let me see an amen in the comment section. Amen. Amen. Are we there? All right. Praise God. Praise God. It says, Paul, called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Sothenes, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints with all those in every place who called on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I will always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given in Christ Jesus, given to you in Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech and in all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful and you were called by him into the fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is a rivalry among you. What I'm saying is this, one of one of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. I want to talk today. uh, The title of this message is Order in the Church. Order in the Church. Uh, We're actually going to be, uh, this is actually going to be the title for the next few weeks. Um, I would encourage those of you uh, that Join us on Sunday if you can to join us on Wednesday night Bible studies as well. Uh, we're going to be going through the whole entire book of First Corinthians verse by verse um, every Sunday and every Wednesday. 
so you will get a portion of it on Sunday, uh, but the remaining portion of it will be on Wednesdays. Uh, so if you have time on Wednesday, I know some folks are essential workers and I know we have busy schedules, uh, so I'm not trying to put pressure on you and make it come. But uh, if you want to make sure that you uh, are getting every single verse throughout the first the whole book of first Corinthians, uh, feel free to join us on Wednesday nights at 730. Uh, so we we now here are here in the first Corinthians, the first chapter, and there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in the church of Corinth uh, during this time. There are lawsuits. There are splits. There are scandals. All of this is going on during the time of the Corinthian church. Paul writes the first and second Corinthians uh, letters to tell his church to focus on Christ. The author of the book is Apostle Paul, who is of Tarsus, who is a former Pharisee, uh, but he's also an apostle and he's also a missionary. Paul visited Corinth on his second missionary trip. uh, And you can read this in the book of Acts, the 18th chapter, verses one through 18. Uh, Corinth was a lively, energetic city, uh, which was thriving, and it was in the center of Mediterranean trade uh, in Greece. This made it easy uh, for Paul to find work as a tent maker uh, because it was such a lively area. Uh, Paul was bivocational. He was not only an apostle, but he was also a tent maker. Uh, So he's not only preaching the gospel here in Corinth, but he's also working a full time job where he connects with a husband and wife couple uh, by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, And it is here uh, that the Corinthian church is established. Uh, Paul even stayed here, according to the book of Acts, the 18th chapter for a year and a half uh, so that he could lay the foundation of the church there in the city of Corinth. Uh, Paul eventually writes this letter uh, to the Corinthian church around 35 AD, not while he's in Corinth, but while he's in Ephesus. Uh, And at this time, while Paul went over to Ephesus, uh, he placed a man by the name of Apollos to be the pastor of the church of Corinth while he was away. And again, the purpose of the first Corinthian church or the purpose of the book of first Corinthians uh, is to teach the believers how to live for Christ. Uh, So we now go back and revisit the first verse of the uh, first chapter of first Corinthians. And we see that Paul says, Paul called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will and Sosthenes, our brother. Uh, The first thing that Paul wants to do is he wants to establish his identity and his authority. Uh, So he states his name, uh, but then he states his title uh, because he wants you to first understand who he is, uh, but then he wants you to understand what his authority is. Um, Now, looking at the first verse, uh, it can kind of look like Paul uh, is trying to make known who he is in the church. Uh, He's trying to showcase that he's an apostle. uh, And if you look at it the wrong way uh, from the wrong view, it could possibly look as if though uh, Paul is bragging on his status in Christ. But that is not what Apostle Paul is trying to do here. Uh, Paul is trying to do three things here in this first verse. Uh, The first thing that Paul is trying to do is trying to show us that he is called by God. Uh, We live in a time now where the term apostle uh, is thrown out so loosely. Uh, But what Paul wants us to understand is that this was not an assignment by man. This was not an assignment of himself, uh, but this was an assignment that was given to him by God. Uh, During this time, there was a lot of confusion in the first century church, uh, and there were some people who were going out teaching that Paul was a false prophet uh, or a false teacher. Uh, So what Paul wanted to do uh, was Paul wanted to make sure that the church understood that his assignment was not from man, but his assignment was from God. I'm teaching for just a couple minutes and we're going to have some church in a second. Uh, So the first thing that Paul wants to do is he wants to make sure that the people understand that this is an assignment that was not of his own, but this is an assignment that he was called by God and by the will of God. Are y'all with me? 
point number two, the reason why Paul writes the first verse is to show his relation to Christ. Uh, the reason why he writes this is to show that I'm preaching no other doctrine, no other scripture, and no other gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, because during this time, there were a lot of Judaizers uh, who were mixing and mingling false doctrines into the church and were starting all different types of confusion amongst the church and amongst the, these uh, new converts and these new Christians. Uh, so what Apostle Paul had to do is he had to make sure that the people of God understood that his purpose was to preach the gospel of Christ and the gospel of Christ alone. Uh, the third purpose of why Paul writes this first verse is to show his relation to the reader. And we're going to come back to this point because he mentions a name in the first verse. And this person's name is Sothenes. Uh, and there's purpose and reasoning on why he writes and mentions the name Sothenes because Sothenes has significance in the reasoning of the first verse. He's showing his relation because Sothenes is actually from the city of Corinth. Uh, so I went through this first verse and I see here that Paul calls himself an apostle. And I, like I said, in this modern day time, a lot of folks are calling themselves apostles and, and calling themselves all of these great titles in the church. Uh, but I had to ask myself, what, what makes the qualifications of an apostle? Now, there are some arguments that believe that the apostles uh, ceased and the term ceased after the first century church because the purpose of the apostle was to lay the foundation of the church. Uh, there was another group that still believes that apostles exist until this day. I'm not here to make the argument for either or, but what I'm here is to show us what the qualifications was for an apostle according to the scripture. All right. Uh, the first qualification of an apostle is one is that they're called to preach the gospel. This is in first Corinthians one and seven. Any person that preaches anything from other than the gospel of Jesus Christ is a false teacher and they could not be an apostle. Number two, uh, they are given continually to prayer. Uh, in Acts the sixth chapter and in the fourth verse, uh, we see here that the apostles are connected to God uh, because there's no way in the world that they were able to lay the foundation of the first century church, which still stands today without being connected to God. And that's why it's important, people of God. And I'm not just saying this because I'm on the line, but I'm saying this for all churches general, uh, nationwide, uh, that it is con it is important that our leaders and our pastors and those that are the heads of our churches stay connected to God so that the foundation of that church is based off of the foundation of Jesus Christ. Uh, so in order for the church to be effective, the apostles had to stay connected to Jesus. Uh, number three is that they had to study the ministry of the word, uh, because it's great to be a preacher, uh, but what good is preaching the gospel without understanding and having a grip on the scriptures? Uh, when you go through the book of Acts, there's a group called the Bereans. And these people, uh, they were there uh, and, and they would study the scripture verse by verse and word by word to make sure that the teachings that the apostles were teaching were in line with the word of God. Uh, so in order for you to be effective to reach these type of people, you have to be into the word and you have to be uh, uh, set aside for the ministry of the word. Uh, number four is for the perfecting of the saints. This is in Ephesians 4 and 11. Uh, the apostle is supposed to edify. The apostle is supposed to charge. The apostle is supposed to bring instruction. Uh, but the apostle is also supposed to bring rebuke, which is why this book of 1 Corinthians was written. Uh, because when you love someone, uh, you care for them and you rebuke them so that you can make sure that the church is set in the proper order. And finally, uh, one of the qualities of an apostle is they are to perform miracles according to 2 Corinthians 12 and 12. Uh, now, there are other qualifications. They establish churches, they plant churches, they lay foundation for the church. Uh, but these five steps are five steps that qualify for people to be an apostle. So Apostle Paul fits all five qualifications of his apostleship. Now, there's the other argument that says that in order to be an apostle, you must have seen Christ after. After the resurrection. Uh, they, but Paul met that qualification. Uh, if you remember on the road to Damascus, the Bible says that he was struck off of his horse and it was there that he had an encounter with Christ Jesus. So if there is anyone that meets the qualification of an apostle, it is the apostle Paul. So he is showcasing and giving us understanding on his 
calling. Mm. So now we go back to the first verse. We're still in the first verse, y'all. We're going to take our time. And he mentions a man by the name of Sothenes. Who is Sothenes? And why is Sothenes written here in the first verse? I hope I'm not boring, y'all. I'm just giving you a historical lesson so we can understand and put the text in context. Sothenes, the first time we hear of this name is in the book of Acts, the 18th chapter. Paul goes to Corinth and when he goes to Corinth, he is teaching in the synagogues. And while he's teaching in the synagogues, there is a leader whose name is uh, Crispus. Uh, Paul starts preaching the gospel. And as Paul is preaching the gospel, uh, Crispus and his family become saved and they give their life to the Lord. Uh, So now these Jews no longer have a leader in their synagogue because Paul's gospel or the God Christ gospel that Paul was preaching was so effective that the leader of the synagogue came and became a convert of Jesus Christ. If that ain't some good preaching, I don't know what it is. We're talking about somebody that has uh, been studying the law, that has been taught one thing their whole entire life, and then they come and encounter with a man who is filled with the Spirit. He begins to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, who is a Pharisee, he knows the law. He knows Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy backwards and front, left and right, up and down, and he's able to show this man Christ in all of scriptures to the point to where this man says, what must I do to be saved? Can I preach for a minute? One thing that is so powerful is when you preach the gospel so good that you don't need theatrics, you don't need games, but when the gospel permeates and penetrates into the hearts of people, they will want to know who Jesus is. Paul must have did some good preaching right there, y'all. So Paul preaches the gospel to Crispus. And when he preaches the gospel to Crispus, Paul, uh, Crispus' whole family is converted and now they are removed from the synagogue and now they are believers of Christ. So the synagogue and the Jewish leaders now have to assign a new elder or a new leader of the synagogue. And they choose a man whose name is uh, uh, Sothenes. Uh huh. Sothenes now becomes the leader of the synagogue. Sothenes is now the lead teacher in the synagogue. And now the rulers in Corinth decide that they want to bring charges up against Paul for preaching a perverted teaching against the law of Moses. So now they file charges and they go into the court of law. Uh, There's a judge whose name is Gallio, and he's sitting here and he's hearing the arguments between Paul and the arguments between the Judaizers or the Jews and the church. Uh, So while they're sitting here making their arguments, uh, Gallio realizes that this is not a matter that needs to be heard in the court. So he throws it out of the court and says, this is something that you guys can deal with amongst yourselves because this is not a criminal crime. I can't put Paul in jail for teaching a gospel that you don't agree with. So what Paul does or what they do is they get mad at Sothenes and they beat Sothenes up. Uh, It was just up on the scripture, uh, Acts 18 and 17. They beat Sothenes up uh, because they feel as though his argument wasn't good enough in order to convict Paul and to throw him in prison. Look at here, Acts 18 and 17. It says, then they all seized Sothenes, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the judge's bench. But none of these things concern Gallio. So Sothenes got beat up because he couldn't make an argument against the gospel. <laughs> so watch this. This is not in the scripture, but I, I, I think that I can make the assumption here that Paul, like I said, is a Pharisee. He knows the law. So when he's sitting here in court and, and, and Sophonies is trying to make his argument, Paul is able to defend the gospel because he knows the law. And I believe that at that point, when Sophonies saw the conviction in Paul's argument for Christ Jesus, that at that moment, there possibly was a change in the heart of Sophonies. So now Sophonies becomes converted. So now you have had two leaders of the synagogue who have been converted by the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now we get back to first Corinthians one and Paul mentioned Sophonies because it shows us that the gospel can transform the heart if the heart is open to receive the word. Not only does Sophonies become converted, but Sophonies now becomes 
Paul's personal companion or Paul's personal secretary who they believe wrote this for Paul. So Paul shares his apostleship. Paul shares his identity. Paul shares his authority. And Paul shares his connection to Sosthenes, his brother. Now we go to the second verse and it says to the church at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints, with all the those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lords and their Lord and ours. Now watch this. Paul gives us here in the second verse the biblical meaning of a saint. Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 the biblical meaning of the word saint. Now I know some of us uh, we study uh, the Catholic tradition and when studying the Catholic condition or, or, or tradition, uh, you see that they have something called the sainthood uh, where if a person meets certain qualifications, uh, there's a council that meets together and they decide who's going to be a saint. Uh, they put saint in front of their name. They saint them, whatever the title is. And, and, and then they're considered saints. And in most cases, it doesn't happen till after that person dies. Uh, so three, four hundred years later, uh, we see Saint whoever, uh, because the Catholic Church has decided that they're going to saint a person. Um, I'm not here to make the argument or to fight or debate, but I'm here to share with you that that is not biblical. According to first Corinthians one and two, if we read the Bible, the Bible says in first Corinthians one and two, that a saint is a person who has been set aside or sanctified in Christ Jesus and who calls on the name of the Lord. So simply speaking, a saint is a believer, which means that every person that is on this line that is a believer is a saint. <laughs> I look at your neighbor and say, hey, Saint. Hey, Saint Darnell. Uh, hey, Saint. Hey, Saint Zoe. Hey, Saint Vanessa. Hey, Saint Kim. Hey, Saint Caesar. Hey, Saints. Hey, Saints. <laughs> I remember growing up in the church uh, when they used to say the saints are praying upstairs. And the saints are going to meet for a prayer meeting and the saints are going to go here and the saints are going to do that. They were actually using the word saint in its proper context because a saint is a person that has been sanctified and set aside for Christ. And a saint is also a person that calls on the name of the Lord. So if you are set aside, if you are sanctified and if you are called or you call on the name of the Lord, then ladies and gentlemen, I now would like to saint you. Hey, saint. <laughs> So we go here now and it says grace to you and peace from our God, right from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're going to get to the good stuff. Now we go through verses four through nine and in verse verses four through nine, we are going to see what are the qualities and the attributes of a saint. Uh Uh, What are the qualifications and the the, the, the benefits of? of our sainthood verses four through nine. We're going to go through which shows us our qualities of why we are saints. Are y'all with me? Number one, in the fourth verse, it says, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God giving to you in Christ Jesus. Number one is grace. Y'all with me? The first thing that we get of being a benefit of being a saint is we have the grace of God. We have the saving grace of God. We have the saving grace of God. We experience the grace of God. Now, the word grace is is simply defined as uh, uh, unmerited favor, meaning uh, that it has nothing to do with your works. It has nothing to do with your connections. It has nothing to do with your bloodline. It has nothing to do with who you know. Uh, You can't make a special phone call to get to heaven. You can't get in the VIP to heaven uh, because it has nothing to do with your own. It is all done according 
to the pleasure of God's will. And I'm so glad that I am saved according to God's will. And I'm not saved according to my own merit and my own works, nor my bloodline, because if it was based off of any of those three things, I would have been disqualified from getting into heaven a long time ago. But because God loved me before the foundation of the world, because he loved me beside my flaws and beside my past and beside my issues, that right there is enough for me to give God praise all by itself. Can I help you? If those of us were saved based off of our families, none of us would be saved uh, because cousin Pookie would have messed it up for you a whole long time ago. Grandma was saved at the latter years of her life, but grandma was a sinner. Uh, but I'm so glad that God looked beyond my family. God looked beyond my, 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 my bloodline. God looked beyond my connections and God saved me according to the pleasure of his will. So the benefits of being a saint is that we are saved by grace. One of the wonderful stories of the Bible is the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew 1. Uh, Because when you go through the genealogy of Christ, you will even see the past of Jesus was a mess. When you go to Genesis 38, you see in his bloodline, he had a great, 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 great grandfather by the name of Judah. And Judah laid with his daughter-in-law. And Judah and his daughter-in-law had twins. And they had as one of the twins' name was Pharaz. And Pharaz was the bloodline of Jesus. But yet he's in the bloodline. When we go through the book of Joshua, we see a woman who was described as a harlot whose name was, was, was Rahab. But Rahab is inside of the bloodline of Jesus. When we go through the book of Ruth, we see Ruth was a Moabitess. She was not even the chosen portion of Israel, but yet God folded her into the family so that she could be saved. When we go through 2 Samuel, we see that there's a lady by the name of Bathsheba. And Bathsheba was married to Uriah the Hittite. And David was married to Abigail. But somehow they had a connection and they committed adultery. And yet they had a child. But yet God still kept them in the bloodline. Which shows us that God's saving grace goes beyond our blood and looks beyond all of those things. And he still wants us in spite of where we came from. I'm so glad that he did not look at my past. He did not look look at who I'm connected to, but he's seen me for who I was and says, you know what? I still want you. That is the saving grace of God. Number two, for the benefits of sainthood. Let's go to the fifth verse that you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Are y'all with me? The second benefit of being a saint is we are enriched in speech and in the knowledge of Christ. Now watch this. Watch this. The issue with evangelism is not the lack of information. The issue with evangelism is the lack of us opening our mouths. Let me say that again. The lack of the, 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 the issue with evangelism is not the lack of information because we have the Bible. The issue with evangelism is the lack of us opening our mouth. So Paul says in the sixth verse, in this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, meaning that when you received Christ and when you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, his testimony was confirmed in you. So there's no way in the world that you are saved, sanctified and Holy Ghost filled and the testimony of Jesus Christ is not confirmed in you. So what does that mean? It means that when I open my mouth, God will allow the spirit to speak and the spirit will bear witness of the spirit and God will do the work if I just share my testimony. If you've been saved, if you've been delivered, your testimony is enough sometimes to share with somebody and that is enough for them to say, well, what must I do to be saved? Our problem is our fear. And the fear shuts our mouth from sharing the gospel with somebody that really needs to hear it at that moment. So Paul is saying the benefit of your sainthood is the fact that God has filled you with the spirit. And if he has filled you with the spirit, then you need to share it. Yo, y'all quiet. If God has filled you with the Holy Ghost, you need to share it. If God has saved you from your sin, then you need to share it. But the issue that we have 
is we're afraid. Well, what would they might say? Well, then the question I have to ask you is, are you ashamed of your salvation? So the benefits of our sainthood is that he has enriched us in speech and in the knowledge of Christ. And the question that you have to ask if you feel like I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have enough information. Well, have have you read your Bible this week? Are you studying the scriptures? Are you getting an understanding of what he has confirmed in you? And a lot of times, if we can be honest, one of the issues is not the fact that the word isn't there. One of the issues is we're not putting in the time to understand the word so that we can share the gospel effectively. So the issue is not Jesus. The issue is us. Some of y'all saying, man, you convicted me. I hope I am convicting you. (laughs) I hope I'm challenging you this week to go into the scriptures and read for yourself how good God is. And when that thing starts filling you, you ain't going to be able to keep it to yourself. Point number three, you are blessed with spiritual gifts. Seventh verse, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. When you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, you were also giving spiritual gifts. One of the issues that we have in the church is that we only focus on one or two or three gifts. We focus on the gifts of prophecy. Uh, We focus, focus on the gift of exhortation or preaching. And we focus on the gift of tongues. Uh, but there's also the gift of helps. There's the gift of there's a gift of giving. Uh, there's the gift of love. There's all different types of gifts. And what one of the benefits of being a saint is that when you receive the Holy Spirit and when God brought you into the fold of his family, he also gave you spiritual gifts. Now, watch this. The Corinthian church was not lacking in gifts. They were lacking in morality. So what Paul says is, yes, you have been called and yes, you have the name of the called, but you ain't acting like you're called. So the purpose of the first Corinthian book or the the, the epistles of first Corinthians is to show the people how to live like they were called. Which shows us that we can be called into the fold, but still have issues. And that's why it's important that we get into the word of God so that the word can bring conviction and set us straight in certain areas in our life. Are y'all with me? And number four, we will be blameless before the Lord. And it says here in the eighth verse, he will strengthen us or strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reading the ninth verse. God is faithful. You were called by him into the fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. When Christ redeemed us, there was no longer any condemnation to those that are in him. And on judgment day, uh, I know a lot of y'all, y'all afraid uh, Jesus going to pull out uh, a DVD player and show all your sins. No, no, no. God ain't petty like that. When God forgive you of your sins, he erased that past. But what he is going to bring to your remembrance or what he is going to bring to you on the day of judgment is what deeds did you do since you received him? All right. You said you've been saved uh, for 30 years. How many souls have you witnessed to? How many people have you prayed for? How many people have you given for? How many people have you shared the gospel with? What have you done with these spiritual gifts that I gave you when you received me? That is what we're going to be judged for. So what God is doing is he has already made us blameless. But what we now have to do is we have to show forth the good deeds and the joy to God of our salvation and say, because you have saved me, God, I'm going to showcase your glory in every area of my life. I'm almost done, y'all. So now we get to the 10th verse. And this is when Paul starts bringing order to the church. Now I urge you. Let's stop right there. I urge you. Are y'all with me today? Y'all with me? I urge you. Won't you look at the word urge there? Because the word urge there means I'm coming to your level. I'm not looking down on you, but I'm coming to where you are. 
because it is hard to take rebuke from somebody that don't love you. <laughs> Y'all quiet. It's hard for me to listen to someone that I know doesn't have good intentions or any goodwill towards me. So what Paul is saying is I'm getting ready to bring rebuke to you, but I want you to understand I'm where you are. I love you. I'm not saying this out of spite. I'm not saying this to check you. I'm not saying this to embarrass you, but I'm urging you, meaning I'm coming down to where you are to let you know I love you. And then he shares with them, you are my brothers and sisters. I'm not just looking down at you as my members. I'm not just looking at you as my subjects, but you are my brothers and sisters. And because I love you, I got to give you the truth. Oh, help me, Jesus. When you love somebody, you tell them the truth. What good would have been his ministry if he would have got caught up in numbers, but the church would have been a mess? I'd rather have a church with 10 people that love Jesus than a thousand that's going to hell. So what Paul is saying is I want to make sure that you understand that I love you. And because I love you, I got to rebuke you. So this is the first issue that Paul deals with. This is going to get tough, y'all, in the next couple of weeks because we're going to be dealing with sexual immorality. We're going to be dealing with women's role in the church. We're going to be dealing with head coverings. We're going to be doing all that stuff. Paul's going to go through the whole lineup. But the first thing that comes to Paul's mind is division in the church. This is the first issue that comes up in the Corinthian church is division. Now watch this. The reason why people quarrel a lot in the church is because they have a lot of their own selfish ambition. And a lot of times when issues happen, it's because of selfish ambition. And the question that we have to ask in those moments is, what is my heart really geared towards in this situation? Is it worth for me to bring a bunch of confusion or can we reason and have some understanding on what's going on? So we see a lot of isms and schisms that have been going on to the, through the church for centuries. And a lot of times they didn't have nothing to do with Jesus. It had to do with preference. It had to deal with I don't like this person. It had to deal with attitude. It had to deal with, I want to do my own thing. And a lot of times the reason why those things happen is because there was personal ambition, not because there was a love for Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I urge you brothers and sisters in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, watch this, that you all agree in what you say. <sighs> watch this. The church or the world is looking at us. And when they scroll through Facebook and there's 20 different gospels being preached, when they go through their Facebook live and somebody saying Jesus get left and one person said right and we're not preaching from the same book, the world is watching us. So what Paul is saying is that the last thing we need in this church is a bunch of different directions from different people. We need to make sure that we're in the same book. We got to make sure that if we're going to teach or preach the gospel, it is a universal gospel that's going to be preached. And we're not teaching all different types of strange things because then that's how all types of division happens in the church. So he's saying is that all of you agree with in what you say that there is no divisions among you and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. Now we got to go back to the first verse. We ain't got to turn there where Paul says that I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. He had to make sure that you understood that the gospel that he taught was Christ centered. And what he is telling the Corinthian church is get back to Christ being the center of the church. Stop all of the other uh, side issues and let focus on what's important. And what's important is that Christ is the center of everything. When Christ stops becoming the center of the church, that's when the church gets in trouble. But when Christ is the center of the church, we will set aside our differences and do whatever we can do to glorify him together. But when he's not the center, then it's about us. And then we have issues. So now we go back to the 11th verse and he says, for it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, 
by members of Chloe's people. Chloe is a woman who lives in Corinth, uh, but she's a wealthy person. Uh, and they traveled between Ephesus and, and Corinth, and they're sharing with Paul the, the isms and schisms that are going on, the schisms that are going on in Corinth. Chloe's people comes back and tells him, man, uh, your Corinthian church is out of control. They out there, uh, it, it's, it's like the bloods and the crypts. You got folks that saying, I belong over here and I belong over there. Uh, and they're missing the purpose that Christ is the center point of the church. So Paul has to bring uh, 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 unity back. And he says, uh, what I'm saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul. Or I belong to Apollos. Or I belong to Cephas. Or I belong to Christ. <laughs> Watch this. Not I belong to Jesus. But I belong to a leader. Mm. We got to be so careful that we don't become so personality driven that we miss the moment that God is putting somebody in our life that can transform us through the gospel. And what had happened here was that the church was getting caught up in people and preference rather than the gospel. Now, let me help you. God has given us pastors. Yes, he has, according to his own heart. I'm not struggling with that. But what I'm struggling with is sometimes God is trying to give you a pastor according to your own heart. And God is trying to lead you into certain areas in your life, but you can't receive the information because it's not your preference. (laughs) And sometimes God will put things in your life that's not your preference, but that will have the truth. So some people like Paul and the reason why they like Paul was because Paul was the establishmentarian of the, of the Corinthian church. Uh, so their commitment was not to Jesus, but their commitment was to Paul because Paul was the founder of the Corinthian church. There was another group who were committed to Apollos, not Jesus, but they were committed to Apollos because Apollos was eloquent in his speech. If you go back to Acts 18, when Aquila and Priscilla, Priscilla met Apollos, he was an amazing preacher. Apollos could preach the lights out. Apollos was, uh, his vocabulary was was beyond our imagination. Apollos could break the word down like nobody else, but the Bible says, but he had heard of no other baptism but the baptism of John. So Aquila and Priscilla had to come and teach Apollos the gospel. But there were some people that became followers of Apollos because Apollos said it better than Paul. It's not that his gospel was any better It's not that the gospel was any different, but I just like the way uh, Apollos hoops at the end. (laughs) I like how Apollos says deep words in his sermon. So I'm not a a follower of the gospel of Jesus Christ that Apollos is teaching, but I'm a follower of Apollos because Apollos says it the way that I like it to be heard. Then you had another group that follows Cephas. Those of you that don't know, Cephas, his name is Peter. Cephas is also Peter. And the reason why there was a group that followed Cephas was because they were Judaizers and Peter was the apostle for the Jews. Uh, So they were safe with Peter because they felt like uh, Peter was one of them. So they had a prejudice gospel. It wasn't about Jesus. It was about my lineage and my heritage. So they would only follow Peter because Peter was somebody that they could identify with based off of their inheritance. And then there was those of Christ. And it wasn't that they were following Jesus. It was just because they was just trying to be super deep. They were the super spiritual folks. So what Paul is saying is that you guys are not into the gospel. You guys are into personalities. So he comes here and he hits us with the 13th verse. He says, is Christ divided? Hmm. Ooh, that's a hard question. Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? Now we know all three questions are no. So it's rhetorical. But what he's trying to show is that what you guys are doing is you're dividing the body of Christ. You are no different than the bloods and the crypts. <laughs> Y'all with me? You are no different. Because all you're doing is you're being drawn, drawn into through through personality, but you're not being driven by the gospel that's coming out of their mouth. It's nothing that those four did wrong. It's just that those people that were following them were more in love with the man than they were in Jesus. Help me, God. And what we have in the modern day church is people that's in love with men, but not in love with God. And when their pastor dies, they'll die too spiritually. Because they never knew Jesus. They knew a man. Mm. 14th verse, I thank God that I baptized none of you. Except Crispus and Gaius, 
so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anyone else. What Paul is saying there is I'm glad that there's no testimony that I was baptizing people for believers of Paul. Everything that Paul was doing was for the glorification of Jesus Christ. And if Paul was known as a baptizing machine, then it would have fit into the narrative that he was doing nothing more but playing the numbers game with the church. And what Paul is saying is, I'm so glad that the testimony that you don't have a testimony against me, that I was just trying to be seeker friendly so that I can draw personality or people towards my personality and not towards Christ. 17, 15, verse, 16 verse. Indeed, I did in fact baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Watch this. Not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross so that of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. I don't want to get, I don't want you guys to become so caught up in who I am and my words and my gimmicks, and my games, and my strobe lights, and my rock star music, and my cool, my cool stuff, that you get caught up in the personality of what I present and not the content that I speak. <sighs> Help me, Jesus. We are living in a time where we're being compelled by presentation, but not content. We're in a generation now where it's all about what the preacher has on rather than what's coming out of the preacher's mouth. We're being caught up more on what you can do for me than what can I do for the sake of the gospel. And this is why, oh, help me, Jesus, I got to I got to close y'all. This is why we are in the situation that we're in spiritually, because we don't know Christ. We know personality. And what I believe Christ is doing now is he's drawing us back to him. And those that have no content, those that have no root, those that are not stemmed in Christ, they won't make it in this season. But those of us that are anchored in the Lord, we going to be all right because we've never depended on man, but we've always depended on God. So I pray, y'all. Pray that we focus on what is centered around the gospel. Then we focus on, well, what's the presentation look like on Facebook Live? I, I, I can't watch that because it, it don't look it don't look according to my liking. And, and I got to make sure I say the first five words that come out of my mouth in the beginning of the sermon uh, because they'll tune off if I don't say what they want me to say. And I got to make sure that I don't offend them. So I'm going to skip this scripture because I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. And I just got to make sure that, um, you know, we do this and we do that and we plan and we prepare and we do it this way. And we come off at this angle and we do this so that we can still get the money, because if we do it this way, then, you know, they'll still still come, uh, but I don't want to offend nobody in this season. That is not the gospel. That's a social club. That's a numbers game. And what we have in this season, and we have places that are called churches that are nothing more but social clubs. They're not showcasing. They're not presenting the gospel. They're presenting accommodation that will make you keep your butt in the seat so they can get you. I'm going to leave that alone. Father, we thank you. <laughs> we thank you, Lord, for the word on today, God. I, I got to close right there because I, I can talk all day. But God, I thank you <laughs> for meeting us in this place, God. I thank you, Lord, for a Christ-centered gospel. I thank you, Lord, for the order that you are bringing into your church in this season. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. I ask God that you touch our hearts and our minds. God, allow us, God, to understand that you are the focal point of everything, God. God, if we remove you from the church, if we remove you from the mission, if we remove you from our lives, if we remove you from our hearts, God, we will, we will, we will fail. God, we will sail away, God. But God, we need you in this season, God. And God, I pray, God, that this is a season of repentance, God, a season of uh, us turning our hearts and our minds back towards you, God, a season.
season of you just showing your, your forever grace towards us, God. God, we need you in this season. We need you in our life, God. God, there's so much going on in the world, God. But God, if our soul ain't right, God, we can live forever, God, but we won't have you. And God, I'd rather be with you in eternity, God, than God to stand here for just this vapor of a life moment. This, this, this twinkle of an eye that we call life that is only for a season, God. I'd rather be with you in eternity, God. So God, I ask today, God, that you make you make me right, God. Renew in me a clean heart, a right spirit, God. Fix me, God. Mold me, God. Shape me into the man and the woman of God that you want me to be, God. And God, we will trust you in this season, God. Even when we don't understand, God, we got to trust you because there's no other person that can help us, God. They can't even come up with a solution or a vaccination, God. So God, right now, we need your vaccination of the blood. The blood of Jesus, God, that was shed on Calvary's cross. We need it right now, God. And God, we ask God that you touch our families, touch our loved ones, God. Touch Elder Ferguson, God, right now, God. Touch him from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet, God. We pray, God, for healing power, God, right now, God. For God, you're able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ask or think, God. And we give you all the glory, power, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. I'm going to give you my three points, and then we're going to go from there. <laughs> Number one, the sanctified in Christ are the saints. Those of us that are sanctified in Christ, we are the saints of God. Don't forget that. So I want to greet all my saints that got on the line today and say, I love you, saints. I love you, saints. Number two, we have been made holy, called holy, but now we must act holy. I thank God that he saved us. I thank God that he has called us but now we have to act like the called. We can't just walk around saying that we're Christians and not acting like Christians. So we have been made holy, we've been called holy, but now we must act holy. Number three, the church must be a place of unity. If we are not centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the church is going to be up in flames and we won't survive. So we need, we need the gospel. We need the gospel to be the focal point of everything we do in our church. I want to thank you guys for joining us on today. Uh, I pray that uh, this was a blessing to you, and I, I hope that you were able to uh, glean from the scriptures on today. Uh, we're going to complete First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 1 on Wednesday night at 730. Uh, so if you're free, please feel free to join us on Wednesday night. Um, I got a whole lot to say, y'all. So uh, if you can't, I will see you guys next Sunday. Uh, God bless you. Once again, I want to thank everyone um, that has been uh, blessing us financially. We want to thank you. We were able to bless a ministry um, for women in need of diapers and wipes. And um, we were able to supply, we're able to supply uh, over a month's worth of diapers and wipes uh, to these women that are in need for the whole month of May. Um, and I want to thank you guys so much. Uh, for your contributions. And um, I will talk to you soon. God bless you. Uh, and uh, we will go into the uh, offertory response and um, may heaven smile upon you.